0: Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly, Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Wade Matthew continues the series of messages on the miracles of Jesus. Today, looking at Matthew 14, verses 13 to 21, the feeding of the five thousand. And now, here's Wade. Good morning, everyone. How are we feeling today? Just a couple of things before we get started, if you don't mind. I'd just like to uh, point out that through the exercise of replacing carpets uh, here at BFA uh, during the month of January, it was not a one-man, a two-man operation. Uh, And many of you may not know that. Um, Being a fly on the wall, I can tell you that there were more than 25 people involved in things that went on here. And that doesn't count the people that were at home praying for this particular operation. But that counts people who, and I'm not going to name names, but people who brought coffee and Timbits to the workers uh, that were putting in the carpet. Uh, wonderful gesture. Um, the people who moved more than a half a ton of organ and piano into the fellowship hall and then moved it back. Uh, the countless hundreds of feet of wiring that had to be put back together uh, by many people. Um, Also, the person who took time to shovel the snow off of our roof at the entrance, which is something that we take for granted, that it just happens. But, you know, the Lord puts it up there, but he expects us to take it down. And so I just wanted to point that out. you know, if ever there was a church that follows that uh, phrase of, We are all members of the body of Christ. And so when one helps, we all help sort of thing. And uh, that is certainly what took part. So uh, that is great. Um, You're going to wonder as we go through this thing this morning, uh, just how I'm wired. Uh, Because this is a different type of message this morning. And I tried to uh, do something different, but the Lord just wouldn't let me go there. So this is what you're going to get. And speaking of being wired, I'm just wondering from Eve and, and Ted's standpoint uh, color blindness an impediment to somebody who's an electrician? Can you imagine the guy who diffuses bombs and goes, cut the green one? Uh, yeah, right. Okay. So let's just bow our heads for a moment in prayer as we uh, come before the Lord. For the message to come. Lord, accept our presence here this morning as our desire to learn from your word. Holy Spirit, open our hearts to new thought provoking ideas regarding our purpose here on earth and our discussions on the topic of miracles. As with all things, we ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you. So you can see from the, uh, from the first slide that the topic is food and how I got food. I don't know. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm an es- expert on it, but I certainly consume enough of it. Um, and so I should know a little bit about it, but uh, that's okay. We're going to go into it and handle it in my own, my own unique way. Um, there are many passages that we could have went into and we were given quite a list by the elders uh, as to which one we could choose or we could choose them all if we wanted to, but, uh, The one that I chose is the one that's the most familiar, I think, to all of us. The one about the two fishes and five loaves. And that's in Matthew 14, 13 to 21. And I'd like to read that. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, Jesus said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, Taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about five thousand men, besides women and children. Plus, minus, black or white. Yes or no? The yin, the yang of it all. Is it or isn't it? Real or fiction? They say that opposites attract. Sinners, man of God. So herein lies the issue in today's passage for me. And that's an issue of perspective. Because it really aims you in the way you want to believe, in the way you want to act, based on the perspective that you see these things. Let me ask you first, has your perspective changed since you met Jesus Christ? I hope so. It should have. We talk about this, but first I want to wrap your minds around the two following statements. So the next slide, Ted. You can't see it very well, but it says miracles appear to occur only when events transcend our understanding. There are two types of people, those who believe in miracles, or those who believe in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to take those one at a time. So after what I had just said before, um, I understand that you might be a little bit surprised, and that's what I said about being wired a little bit differently maybe. Um, You're going to think that I'm either a hypocrite or a blasphemer. But I ask your open-minded Uh, time with me here this morning to just listen to what I have to say and see if it makes any sense. It's not necessarily right or wrong. It's what I felt the Lord was telling me about this particular situation. It's a matter of perspective. While we're busy trying to focus on the concept of miracles, we've got to step back and see the passage from the perspective of those that are watching the events at the time. So I'm going to ask you, A few simple questions, and I just need you to say yes or no. Don't say them to me, just say them to yourself. To the Egyptians, were the pyramids a miracle? To the Chinese, how about the Great Wall? In the passages of the Bible that deal with the Egyptians and the Israelites, there's little discussion of the miracle of the pyramids. Should something so awe-inspiring, so revolutionary, not be a reason to drop a line or two, to have us go to our knees and reflect on its very existence? It's not there. Both are called wonders of the world. And something man holds in awe. But are they miracles? Miraculous, perhaps. Miracles? Man flocks to these structures, but for sightseeing reasons. And not to challenge as whether it is a miracle or not. They simply want the picture taken with it. How about Napoleon? Alexander the Great. Sitting Bull. They've never seen an F-35 stealth bomber or an atom bomb would they say that its existence is a miracle? Let's look at another aspect. To my grandmother, who was born in 1897, and, for example, to Phil Donaldson's mother, who was born a little bit later, would they consider the lunar landing a miracle? As I recall, when it happened, there were very few people with access to a television set who did not watch the landing, with incredible interest and a little disbelief. But was it a miracle? It's not quite so simple to say yes or no, is it? What I'm trying to say here is that many of these events that happened during the existence of this planet seem to be unexplainable. But later on, as years went by, mankind was able to come up with some sort of an interpretation, an explanation to make it sound valid. All one has to do is look at the timeline of scientific discoveries to realize how the world changes with perspective. And I'm not going to get into that science versus uh, creation because we'll be here for a month. This is simply my attempt to validate the first statement that miracles appear to occur only when events transcend our understanding. So if you can understand them, it's probably not a miracle. If you think somebody else can produce them, it's probably not a miracle. They're strange, they're odd, they're rare, but they're maybe not a miracle. So let's look at the first group in the passage that I just read the multitudes of people who gathered to see Jesus Christ. The multitudes are the first group we're going to look at. These people come from all different backgrounds, okay? No specific attachment. To any of the others that are present that we can see, although some of them are families, they do have children with them. They don't appear to have a home. They don't appear to have a place to go to. They have nothing to tie them down to a particular spot in time or a spot in geography. In fact, to any that are observing from the outside, you would say that they are very needy in many, many different ways. Why are they there? These are people who have heard about this man from Galilee and are curious. In the same way that they came to John the Baptist, they come to Jesus Christ because he offers something different, something strangely odd. Having little of anything, they're searching for any improvement on their existing lifestyle as well. Maybe it's like today where hundreds of thousands of people flock together to see a rock band, a political leader, a sporting event, Is it just curiosity, or is it a miracle? Some have a hope to be healed from a malady that they have contracted. Many follow simply because they have a herd mentality. They are more comfortable feeling protected in a group than by themselves. And so they gather together. No matter what the individual reason, we're all sinners. All the people at this particular gathering were sinners, with the exception of one man. They were born into sin, had no hope. They may not have realized it, but that was a fact. The thought of possibly getting healed, the thought of hope for a better life, maybe even the thought of just a free meal. Maybe they expected it because Jesus had provided many, many things before. And there are many examples in the Bible of Jesus providing food. To them, I'm sure that it was seen as a miracle. They couldn't explain it. How does a person take a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread and feed 5,000 people? Just imagine that in a basket. And you go down to take a piece, and another piece pops up where you took the piece out that wasn't there before. A miracle? Sure sounds like it. That's what they would would think. Pardon me. But these are people who are open to all kinds of ideas because they're desperate. They need hope in something. And so they look on it a little bit differently than I think we would in this day and age where we're spoiled. We have far more than we need. We're doing quite well, thank you. And many of us would say that we're doing well in spite of what the Lord has done for us. And that's the wrong thing to say. But people that are not part of the body of Christ live that way day in and day out. Let's look at the next group that's there. It's a party of one. It's Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus is present here as part of his ministry's work during these three short years before his crucifixion. He's discipling, he's mentoring, he's teaching people, he's laying down laws. He's showing compassion and love for all people. He's trying to teach those around him. He's trying to further the purpose for which he was sent. Now, whether you use the word miracle, power, signs, wonders, there are some statements that need to be considered when we reflect on how Jesus views these events. And you'll see that it's much different from the from the group of people that are there, the, the multitudes. Colossians 2.9 says, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. There is none above Jesus Christ. He is it. So try and explain how he fed these people with such a little amount of food to start with. Is it a miracle? I'll leave that to you. Jesus is God, and yet he's a sinless man. And that's a contradiction to the people that were in the group. The multitudes of people, the 5,000 plus that were there, they don't understand that. How can this man be God? We talked about it this morning in communion, how even the Pharisees and the Sadducees, confronted him and said only god can do this how is it that this man thinks he can do what god can do because he is god but they didn't understand it they saw something different is it a miracle to jesus i think it was just everyday life but the people wouldn't see it that way i'm not sure we would see it that way either but there are things that confuse me about the story luke 1:37 says for with god nothing shall be impossible So is it a miracle? God can do anything. If he wants to turn those fish into grapefruits, he can do it. He told you if you had a little bit of faith that you could cut down the mountain over there. He can do anything he wants to do. Is that a miracle? So it's the perspective of the whole thing. Nothing is impossible and therefore nothing is a miracle. Miraculous maybe, but not a miracle. But it depends on the eyes that you're looking through. Nothing is beyond the scope and power of our Lord and Savior. And the attitude of Jesus as he performs this provision of food, pardon me, is nothing more than one who believes in God the Father and what God the Father would expect of him. He is obedient and he is faithful. And that's the example he wants to set for his disciples and for all others who will come to know him. Ezekiel 34:23 from the Old Testament. I thought I would pull something from the Old Testament. Speaks of, Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. He will feed them himself and be their shepherd. Now keep in mind that the idea of shepherd is not an employee. This is not somebody who punches in at 9 in the morning and goes home at 4.30 in the afternoon. This is somebody who takes his job As a lifetime experience. This is his family. These sheep belong to him. He does not want to lose them. So he looks after them when they break a leg. He looks after them when they're hungry. He looks after them when they're lost. When when they can't find the sheep pen. He goes and finds them. Hebrews 13 says. Verse 20. Now may the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be all glory forever and ever. Amen. So he's referred to here as the great shepherd, just like David was the great shepherd. But it also says that he equips you with everything good for doing his will. That he can work through you to fulfill his purpose. In both the Old and New Testament, food is spoken of many, many times. Jesus is called the great shepherd. And as such, one of his duties is to provide food for his flock. And that food is not just food for nourishment as in bodily nourishment, a sandwich, that type of thing. But it's spiritual food. And that's the difference. And the people in the multitude will not understand that. So what's the situation before Jesus at this point? He's in this spot for ministry reasons. But he's also just been made aware that John the Baptist was beheaded. And he was going to go and find a place to rest. Now, obviously, when he finds a place to rest, you would assume that involves prayer to the Father. Because Jesus took everything to his Father in prayer. But before he gets a chance to do that, the multitude shows up. And all of a sudden, the mission, the ministry work, takes precedent over time of rest. The great multitude shows up, and in his tired state, Jesus still shows compassion and love for all people as he heals the sick that are there, as he provides food and nourishment for them. The day begins to wind down with the need for nourishment. The disciples want to send the people away. But this is not, in the vocabulary of Jesus, the compassionate shepherd. Is that what you would have done? Would you have sent them away? Let them find a meal somewhere else. I'm going home. I know my fridge is full. Because that's not what Jesus wants you to do. He sets the example right here. He's not expecting you to feed 5,000 people. But if it's possible, why not? But he's showing you that it can be done. And by feeding them food physically, fish and loaves, you get a chance to spiritually nourish the people. You get a chance to show your love and your compassion for them. You get a chance to mentor them a little bit, to talk to them about what it means, the fact that they are dead in this world, and that if they want a new life, they can be nourished with that new life. Note that he begins by telling them to give the people something to eat. The disciples, their response is, we can't do it. We don't know how. We can't do it. This is a different form of nourishment and reflects something different from the manna that the Lord gave to the Israelites in the wilderness. Here it is, the bread of life, and it is the only way to redemption and eternity. In a way, it's perhaps a jab at his disciples as well for their lack of belief. How many times did they question Jesus right up to the end? Peter was probably the most impetuous of the bunch. But they all did it. And I think we all do it from time to time. We question Jesus. We question whether we should be involved in what he's involved in because it just seems a little bit odd. We can't quite understand it. Um, It's not what we want to do. But you know something? Maybe it's a miracle. Maybe you should be doing it. Think about that. And as he said in Matthew 17:20, just a few chapters ahead of the passage we, we've read for this particular sermon. Because you have so little faith, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Nothing. Is that a miracle? Next slide, Ted, please. There we are. We just read this. It says, I am the bread of life. Your father ate man in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. What about that? Is that a miracle? You know, you can say everything that happens in this world is a miracle. The fact that this world is here is a miracle. It happened only because of God. The fact that you were born is a miracle. Can any of you or all of you together explain how the cells come together and how you became Dave Jenkinson or Carol Melnick as opposed to becoming someone else? How is it that we're all born with two arms, two hands, two feet. Now I mean the majority of us. I realize that there are physical disabilities, but we're all born that way. Why aren't some of us born with forearms, two hands, six legs, nine ears? Because there's a pattern. And God has that pattern. And God is in control of that pattern. And God has the power over that pattern. We don't. That's a miracle, isn't it? Or is it? Because to God, it's just everyday life, everyday workings. There's another thing here that bothered me about not only this particular passage, but the other passages that talk about food and the other so-called miracles in the Bible. And I'm not, once again, I'm not judging here. I'm not saying that I'm right, but I'm saying that this is another way of looking at it. What happened when the Beatles came to United States there was hysteria were they a miracle people sure acted like they were like they were the next thing since sliced bread there was nothing like the Beatles women passed out people got hurt they had to be protected by police just to move around that doesn't happen in these miracles Here's 5,000 people, plus children, plus plus women that are about to be fed. They see this little bit of food. Multiply, 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 multiply. And they're 85% back in the crowd. And the fish and the bread keep coming, keeps moving back, keeps moving back, keeps moving back. How do you explain that? How did they get food? To them, it's a miracle. To God, to Jesus, he's feeding his sheep. That's a strange part to me, that there's no hysteria. Even the disciples don't seem to be awed by this. If anything, they're a little bit inquisitive. They question the Lord. But there's no panic Nobody falls to their knees. Nobody raises their hands to heaven and praises the Lord. They just get fed. What happens when they get fed? They collect up the remainder, 12 baskets of food. That's more than they started with. But there's no panic. There's 5,000 people out there who probably haven't had a meal in three or four days. And there's extras. Why aren't they fighting to take those extras home? It just seems a little bit odd to me. But I think the rationale here is the perspective. What does God want you to see? He doesn't want you to see the panic and the the futility of some of the things that are going on. He wants you to see that he is the Messiah and that his power comes from his Father above. And that simply because he is sinless, because he is obedient and faithful, his father gives him all the power he needs to do whatever he needs to do to fulfill his purpose. That's what Jesus wants these people to get. He wants them to understand that they can be part of this. And that's why he tells them in various places in the New Testament to go out to all corners of the earth and spread the good news. Remember when I said before that Peter was one of the impetuous ones? Well, here's a verse from Peter. And this is four chapters after this particular uh, event. And in fact, there is another food event before this chapter. It says, Then Peter asked of Jesus, Behold, we have forsaken all, and we have followed thee. What shall we have therefore? Do you think Peter got it? Did Peter see the feeding of these people as a miracle? Or did he see it as just another event in the life of Peter? He had, for, he had given up everything. He had forsaken all to follow Christ. And yet even now, he was unsure of what he was going to get. He selfishly was worried about self. So you know something? There's no difference between Peter then and us now. We're very similar to that. I, I have a hard time believing that All of us here today have not at one time or other questioned just where are we in this hierarchy. And is it important to be first? Or is it important to be in the first bus that goes north, so to speak? No, it's not important. God says it's not important. He's preparing a mansion for you. He's preparing a room for you. For you personally. Not for us as a group. He's not taking BFA to heaven. As a group and putting them in BFA wing 3D, he's taking you. He's got a room up there for Wade Matthew. Me. I can't believe it. It's mind boggling. Is it a miracle? To me, it's a miracle because I don't think I'm worthy of it. But to Jesus, it's just everyday life. He loves me so much that he's willing to do that. He's already paid the price of his life on earth in a physical sense. And he's willing to go the rest of the way. So in my mind as a Christian, there are words that are simply incorrect to use sometimes without proper perspective. Coincidence is one. I don't believe anymore that there are coincidences because God says that he knows all things. He knows how many hairs are on our head. So if he knows those things, and he's got everything written down, and he knows where you're headed, what you're doing, there are no coincidences. There are no miracles. It's already predetermined. Even though those incidences and those events seem miraculous. But now that we've been redeemed, and we've been the receiver of a new life, We see a different level. We see a different perspective. At least we should. We can no longer believe in coincidences or miracles, only in the power of God. And I want to take that just a little bit further because we have to put our faith and our trust in God, who is greater than all. That's what we're told in his word. That's what we tell each other. That's what the disciples have told other people. If we do this, then those things that appear to be beyond explanation will become acceptable and somewhat understandable. But when? We don't know. But that's okay. God has said that he will reveal it to us in his time. Here's another little excerpt out of the Bible. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Who can question the Lord? I don't know. Yes, who indeed? And so here's sort of the crux of the matter for me when it comes to miracles. And so I come to the simple conclusion that to believe in coincidences or miracles. One cannot believe in Jesus Christ the Holy Spirit, and our God the Father. To say that an event is a miracle clearly questions the ability of God to routinely carry out his work, to routinely create these occurrences for purposes of his own. It questions our personal belief, our trust, and our full obedience in God to do the things that he says he will and can do. It would be rather hypocritical on our part to do that. So to say that it's a miracle that's beyond understanding, I have a hard time with that. So remember, as we study these miracles about food, about death, about healing, whatever it might be, think of the perspective that it's presented. Think of who's there. Put yourself in their place. You should be putting yourself in the place of Jesus because you have been redeemed. You are now a new creation. You were no longer on that level. You should be at the upper level. And you should be following what Jesus said in full obedience and trust. But I know that we're human beings and we're having difficulty with that. I understand that. But that's what we should be doing. To the people that don't know the Lord, every time something like this happens, it's a miracle. And they just await for science to explain it to them. As we close, we live by faith and not by what we see. Explanations are desired, but because we simply and fully believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, it will be revealed to us in His time. And you know something? That's good enough for me. I hope it is for you. Let's just bow in a word of prayer and then we'll ask the music team to come up and close us off with a hymn. Lord, so much about your word is strange to us. So much about what you have done for us is strange to us. Is above and beyond what we could imagine. But we understand, Lord, that you have the power for all things You created this world, you created this universe with just a wave of your hand or a breath. And yet we question whether or not it is true, whether it is valid. If there isn't another explanation, how can we possibly, as a lowly human being, think that we are an equal to you? Lord, may all that we do today, tomorrow, and in the days to come, honoring and glorifying to you. May we put you first where you belong, Lord. May we understand that all power and all knowledge and all ability to do things comes from you and that all that we have comes from you. We talk about it here, Lord, that even the very breath that we take is numbered by you. And so who are we to question the Lord? Lord, we humble ourselves and fall down on our knees, Lord, to you. Understanding the sacrifice that you made for us and praying, Lord, that we will never, never have to endure anything like that again. That you will never have to endure anything like that again. That you have given us this time for redemption and that we will all take full advantage of it. We thank you, Lord, that your Son is the Great Shepherd. That he has told us time and time again that all that the Father has given him, he will not lose. That he will keep track of them and he will return them to the Father. And for that we are thankful. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for being with us, Lord. Thank you for guiding us and leading us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you are in the Timmins area or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.